The following is a message by Dr. Dennis Johnson from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Our text for meditation today from Philippians is Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16, but it's important that we hear it in the flow of Paul's epistle, so I'm going to begin to read at chapter 3, verse 2, the text that we considered the last time we were looking at Philippians together, and actually carry it on through the end of the chapter. This is God's word, beginning to read at verse 2 of Philippians chapter 3. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, As to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Father, 
teach us what you have to teach us from the example of your servant Apostle Paul. What it means to rest in Jesus' righteousness and therefore to run for all that your grace has prepared for us at the finish line of our race. Make our running rise out of our resting. We pray in Jesus' name. In verses 2 through 11, as we saw several weeks ago, Paul has been showing us how he had come to rest. How he had come to rest from the pursuit of his own righteousness through proper patriarchal lineage and strenuous commandment keeping. He gladly discarded all of those stellar credentials of his previous religious resume in order to receive an infinitely more valuable treasure, which he describes in variety of ways at the end of that preceding text, to gain Christ, to be found in Christ, to know Christ, to receive in Christ the righteousness that is not of Paul's own doing, but that comes as God's gift. Obviously, his purpose is to immunize his brothers and sisters in Philippi, Gentile believers, against the infection of Judaizing legalism. He's, he's saying to them, I've been there, I've done that. You can take it from me that the road to righteousness that is paved by one's own background or one's own effort is a dead end. Don't go there. But there's also another danger that could have threatened the Philippians, and we know did threaten some of Paul's other churches when they embraced the truth that right standing before God is really God's gift of sheer grace in which our efforts at obedience have no place whatsoever. And that's the danger of assuming that because Jesus did it all, the whole issue of whether we obey the Lord who loved us and gave himself for us really doesn't count anymore. It doesn't matter. Our works are irrelevant. Paul had to answer that slogan for the Christians at Rome. Now he's in Rome, but he was writing earlier He knew that somebody somewhere was saying, well, if grace abounds where sin abounds, then we might as well sin all the more to give God more opportunity to show how really gracious he is. And there in Romans chapter 6, Paul answers that very strongly theologically. Don't you understand that the grace of God has not only dealt with the issue of your guilt, but it's dealt with the issue of your enslavement to sin. You are no longer alive to sin. How can you serve it as its slave? Here, Paul answers it autobiographically. He says, I want you to know that my resting in the righteousness of Christ has not made me complacent or passive. It's not sort of cut the nerve of my energy, but instead it's energized me all the more to run for what is yet ahead of me. James Proctor wrote a wonderful hymn, It Is Finished. Some of you probably remember that hymn and this wonderful advice that he gives. Cast your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him, in him alone, gloriously complete. Right on. But Paul says, I'm not complete yet. Proctor's speaking about are standing before God's tribunal, justification. And Jesus' righteousness really does all that needs to be done to set us right in God's sight forever. Imputed to us, credited to our accounts, 
by grace alone, through faith alone. But Paul says there's more. There's more that God has in store for us than justification. As wonderful as that entry point into life in Christ is, as God gives us faith through regeneration, unites us to Christ, declares us right, there's more. God intends to free us from the tyranny of sin and ultimately even from the presence of sin. We've got to keep running, Paul says, because God has more for us. I can't draw the conclusion because Jesus did it all. I can slap the bumper sticker on the back of my car that says Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. You've seen that, right? That's a great bumper sticker because you really kill two birds with one stone when you do that. First of all, you sort of strike a blow against a moralistic misunderstanding of Christianity. And secondly, you preemptively answer all the people who are grumbling about your reckless and rude driving. Hey, I don't claim to be perfect, you know. Well, see, there's something missing in that bumper sticker, as there usually is in most bumper stickers. I am not yet perfect, but that's what I long for. Well, not just my perfection, because what Paul is looking at here in terms of the goal is not just about his own sanctification. It's about knowing Christ in his fullness. He's running, but not in the way he ran before. The difference is in the starting blocks and the finish line, to take Paul's metaphor, and Paul is using a metaphor, I don't think actually the ancient Greeks used starting blocks, but, you know, adapt a little. The metaphor from the Olympic Games, when he talks about pursuing, about straining forward, about the goal and the prize, he's picking up the metaphors that the Philippians would have known from the games that took place roughly 700 miles or so south of them, primarily, in Achaia. He's picking up that picture, and he's saying the starting blocks for me, are different than they were before, and the finish line is very different. The starting blocks, really now, as Paul implies here, are my resting in Christ. My resting in Christ. And in our text, 12 through 16, he refers to it twice. He says, I'm running to lay hold of something because Christ Jesus has already laid hold of me. I want to seize, and we're going to talk about what he wants to seize in a minute, I want to seize because I've been seized. Christ has already laid hold of my life, and that makes all the difference in the world. I'm confident of victory because I've already been conquered by the supreme grace of Christ. So he's looking back, obviously, to the Damascus road. Jesus laid hold of me when I was running against him. Not just running away from him, but running against him. Jesus seized me. By his grace. And for that reason, I want all the treasure for which he has prepared me. Of course, Paul knows that this is not just his experience. He said to the Philippians back in the first chapter, I am so confident that the one who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. And that's one of the word groups that he uses here when he talks about not being perfect or complete. He will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul looks back as he looks forward. I want to seize what's ahead because I've been seized in the past, laid hold of by the sovereign grace of Christ. And then he says it actually a second time when he speaks of God the Father, calling him in verse 14, I press on to the goal, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The prize is obviously ahead. The goal is ahead. And for that reason, many, many scholars believe that 
Paul is alluding to that practice in the ancient Olympic Games, as in our modern games, of the award ceremony at the end of the event, when the judge in the ancient Olympic Games would call the victorious athlete up to receive the laurel wreath. The thing is, when Paul uses the word call consistently across his letters, he's not talking primarily about something future, but about something that's already happened. Yes, God's call was in the direction of that heavenward call, but it had already come into Paul's life. Listen how Paul speaks of calling elsewhere. Romans 8, verse 30. Those whom God predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. God's call gave them faith, since faith is the instrument by which we're justified. God's call entered into our lives, gave us faith, so we were justified. And from then on, it's all victory. Those whom he justified, he glorified. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 1, thinking of his own experience. When God, who set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I didn't consult with anybody else. God called Paul back at that starting point when Christ seized Paul in sovereign grace on the road to Damascus. And that call to rest in Christ's righteousness is what now has put Paul on the right race course to pursue the goal. It knocked the pride out of him for any successes he might have thought he had achieved but it also freed him from the terror of failure. What it did not do was to make him complacent. What it did not do was to tempt him to snooze away his long lead like the hare in Aesop's fable who was beat by a tortoise. Paul wasn't so overconfident that he didn't run. He ran with confidence because of what Christ had done already in his life. Because those tastes of grace whet his appetite for what was yet ahead, for the finish line. And Paul says, I haven't crossed that line yet. He says, I've not yet obtained. I have not yet made my own. Now, our English versions have to put some object in there, but Paul doesn't put any particular word to tell us what it is, this is, that is that goal. Overtly, at least, in verses 12 and 13, he doesn't give us that. Instead, he assumes that we're going to pick it up from what he's already said. Most immediately, obviously, he's just spoken in verse 11 of the resurrection of the dead. And that is a wonderful, great, climactic triumph over the last enemy. Death destroyed when Jesus returns and all who are his own are raised from the dead. But in a sense, Paul views resurrection from the dead as the means to an end. In the end, he's been describing in many other ways in those earlier verses the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That I might gain Christ. That I might be found in Christ. And again, that I might know him, verses 7 through 10. You see, it's not just about escape from death. It's not even just about being free from sin and temptation and failure and guilt and shame. As much as we long for that, 
It's not about deliverance from the sorrow and suffering of this life. It's about Christ. It's about Christ. Paul says, that's the goal. That's the prize that lies ahead of me at the finish line. He really meant it when he said in the first chapter, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And everything that I've experienced so far, and I do know Christ, he would not deny that. And I am found in Christ, and that's why I can rest in his righteousness. But everything I've experienced so far makes me want more. Makes me want the fullness. It's honest recognition that he had come into this race by sovereign grace. And was sustained in this race by sovereign grace. And yet that he had not yet crossed the finish line. He had not yet experienced all that God's grace has in store for him. Made Paul both humble and hopeful. And I think you see that so vividly in verse 15, where he calls those who are mature, this is the word teleos, Greek scholars. Uh, He's already said that he has not become perfect, teleo, verse 12. So those who are perfect need to share Paul's mindset that we're not yet perfect. Get it? Those who are mature need to share Paul's mindset that you're not fully mature. Those who are complete need to share Paul's mindset that we're not absolutely completed. He's he's doing a pun thing here, for sure. But he's saying the mark of maturity is to know how far we have yet to grow up. Yet to mature. So you need to follow my pattern here. That humble, realistic recognition that you're not home yet. That you're not fully mature, that you haven't gained all that God has for you. And then he puts this interesting comment, doesn't he? And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. First time I ever had that pointed out to me was many, many years ago when Dr. Strimple was teaching at a family conference that I was attending. What a striking statement. Christ's apostle. How dare you disagree with Christ's apostle? Paul says, if you think otherwise, that, you know, there's time. God will let you know that. Uh, Now, you'd think from the way Paul has authority that he might say, if in anything you think otherwise, repent, you sinners. Don't you know I'm an apostle? How dare you differ from my viewpoint? But there's no outrage. And there's instead gentle patience. Now, of course, when the gospel itself is under attack, Paul can be fierce as a lion, right? You heard chapter 3, verse 2, where he calls people who try to turn our hearts away from Jesus dogs, evildoers, mutilation. He's fierce as a lion in defense of the gospel. But on issues where those who love and trust Christ, who are united in the gospel, may not see eye to eye on everything, Paul is humble and hopeful enough to say there's time for that. Now he's going to say to a couple of dear sisters, Yodia and Syntyche, in just a few verses, dear sisters, I know you have some disagreements. See eye to eye, please. And if you need some help, my true yoke fellow will come alongside. I'm asking him to help you. But you see, Paul is humble. He knows he hasn't arrived. And therefore he'll give others some grace and patience, because they haven't arrived either. But he's hopeful. God will show this to you. He will lead us to that unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God that he has promised to do. 
So keep running. Now, I know that's probably not a happy metaphor for us in the last three weeks of classes. I, I wonder whether any of you, when you first read that first line of our hymn, The Sands of Time Are Sinking, I, it, it only occurred to me, as, as Nozomi was playing this morning, they're thinking about paper due date less than three weeks away, aren't they? Uh, that's not what the hymn's about. Uh, Sometimes in our running around about more short-term deadlines, uh, like, like that deadline in less than three weeks and the hurdles beyond that we call final exams, we may lose sight of the real goal. And here Paul focuses us on that real goal, to know Christ, to gain Christ. As he says very daringly in 1 Corinthians 13, to know genuinely as he is genuinely known, implied by God, to know Christ in that face-to-face way, where, as the hymn rightly says, the king without a veil is seen. He will see Jesus in his glory. hope you haven't lost sight of the finish line, but if you have, I hope that this text will remind us that that's the aim that we should be running for with all our might, not out of a frenetic fear that God will let us go, but rather out of confident resting in the righteousness of Christ. We sang in in our hymn, O Christ, he is the fountain, the deep, sweet well of love, the streams on earth I've tasted, more deep I'll drink above. And that's Paul's point here. I've tasted the streams that flow from Christ, the abundant fountain of grace, but I know that there's more. I know that there's more ahead of me. There, to an ocean fullness, his mercy doth expand. Glory, glory dwelling. The Lamb is all the glory. The man is. I, I hope Paul has whetted our appetites to know Christ better, to run the race that begins with resting in the righteousness of our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to lift our sights above the challenges and the trials and the hurdles that lie immediately before us and sometimes tempt us to weariness or discouragement, to lift our sights to the goal and to the prize toward which you have called us in Christ Jesus, for which our Savior has laid hold of us and made made us his own. That is, the prize of knowing him, of laying hold of him, of being found in him, and rejoicing in the fullness of his presence forever. Lift our sights, and so give us the stamina to run with endurance the race set before us now as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the forerunner, the pioneer, and the one who completes and perfects us. We pray in Jesus' name. Copyright 2011, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.